Hey, good morning, family. I'm so glad to be able to connect with you in this way. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to Daniel Denler and to Grant Ellis uh, for all the work they do behind the scenes to make this possible. But man, I miss being with each one of you when we would normally gather together on a Sunday morning. Uh, the bottom line is no technology will ever replace the beauty of being able to gather together in person as one big family. So I want you to know that I miss you and I really look forward to the Sunday uh, hopefully in the near future, but in the future when we will again be able to gather as one big family. I'm really looking forward to that. This morning we continue our series entitled Be Still. Last week our theme from Psalm 37 was Be Still and Be Waiting. Today we'll focus in on another important piece that is Be Still and Don't Be Fretting. Be Still and Don't Be Fretting. Let's read Psalm 37 now, just verses 1 through 9. And as I read, I would like for you, if you would, please, to count the number of times that you hear that command to not be fretting and see if you can identify uh, where they are in this passage. So that's Psalm 37, uh, beginning in verse 1 uh, down to verse 9. Here we go. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So how many times did we see or how many times did we hear that command, fret not? Three times, right? We saw it in verse 1 right at the top. Then we saw it again a little bit later in verse 7. And then in verse 8 where we read this compelling statement, fret not, it tends only to evil. Our fretting leads to or tends to evil. You'll notice be still is not commanded until verse 7. Even though that's really the emphasis of this passage, it doesn't show up uh, until we get down to verse 7. Or so it would seem, but if we look carefully the space between verse 1 and verse 7 the space between the first fret not and then that command to be still that space shows us what it looks like to be still and to wait patiently uh, for God rather than fretting which is our emphasis this week so again all of those words in between verse 1 and 7, while we're waiting to hear that command to be still and be waiting on God, is really unpacking for us what it looks like to not be fretting. So what is fretting? What, what is fretting? fretting? Fretting, I think of it this way, worry is the infant form of fretting. So fretting is the full-grown, kind of ugly adult version of worry. Fretting is full-grown worry. Uh, fretting is unchecked concern. If you, un if you let your concern grow on unchecked, it will grow up into uh, the ugly adult form that we know as fretting. Fretting happens when the sparks of worry and concern are fanned into flames of anxiety or anger as a result of my 
not being still and waiting on God. It's, if I'm not being still, if I'm not waiting on God, fretting is inevitable. It will happen. So when I don't practice being still, when I don't practice waiting on God, I will be increasingly consumed and controlled by worry and concern as they give birth to anxiety and or anger in my heart. Uh, worry will increasingly consume and control my thoughts and my feelings and my behavior. That's fretting. So that's what we're talking about. That's fretting. So in this passage, what or who is David tempted to be fretful over? Well, we saw this repeated a couple times. He's, he's tempted to be fretting over what he would call evildoers. Now, that sounds really vague to us, right? We just hear David describing these people that he calls evildoers. It doesn't give us any names. It sounds, so it sounds vague. It sounds like a broad category. Uh, but not for David. Like These people are in proximity to David, and they've wronged him personally, or they threaten his, uh, his being or his way of life. So this is very personal for David. He doesn't name names in this psalm. But you can, you can rest assured as he's writing these words, as he writes evildoers, he's got names going through his mind. He can name them is what we're getting after. Well, what do we need to learn from that? I think we need to learn that we should be naming ours as well. We can't just say, we just can't let it rest out there in the land of ambiguity. Like we are talking about specific people or specific circumstances. We need to name those people or circumstances that are tempting us to be fretting. But look, we're not talking about naming them on social media, of course. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about naming them in a gossipy kind of way, but we should name them to ourselves and with our Father. What or who am I personally tempted to be fretting over? That's the question. So let's take a moment. Just let that question bounce around in your heart and mind. Be specific. Name a person or a particular situation out loud if you're watching this alone, but if you're watching in a group with your MC or your family, maybe just tuck it away in your heart for now. Maybe your fretting is related to the coronavirus. Uh, maybe not. Maybe you're fretting over how much everyone else is fretting over the coronavirus. Maybe you're just tired of hearing about it. Um, but we're all tempted to be fretting over a person or a situation. So what or who is the object of your fretting? All right, you got it? You got it locked away? You have your specific person or situation named, right? We've got to name them. And now our father says to us, okay, son, name it or name them. Let's, let's name it. And, and now once it's named, once it's spoken out loud or spoken to me, our father says, son, I want you to be still now. You've spoken it out loud. Be still. Stop moving. Stop talking. Stop attempting to control this situation or this person. And now daughter, wait on me. Right? Instead of controlling, I want you to, to be still and I want you to wait on me. And son, I don't want you to be fretting. That's what our father is saying to us as we name these temptations to fret. So what does our father want us to do when we are tempted to be fretting? Well, we'll see four big ideas in this passage. He wants us to look up to him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to delight in him. And he wants us to commit our way or commit our, our steps, our lives to him. So let's start with looking up to our father. This entire psalm is one big encouragement to look up because really our problem is precisely the opposite. We get stuck in the moment. We get really stuck. We get stuck because our eyes are fixed on a person or our circumstances rather than on the Father. 
I just finished a book, a compelling book, entitled All the Light We Cannot See. It traces the stories of two people, a young, blind French teenage girl in, in World War II France and a young orphaned boy in World War II era Germany who gets swept up into the Reich. And you don't realize till much later in the book, but their stories collide. But as you can imagine, there are a lot of very dark, heavy scenes uh, that unfold in the book. And you can enter into one of those scenes in a paragraph and almost get stuck to the point of, man, this is really dark. I'm going to close the book for a minute and walk away and get my bearings. But uh, we're, not, we're not approaching the story as the author is. We're approaching as a reader. So we don't see the big picture. We don't know where it's going. And so we get ourselves stuck um, in, a, in, a, in a dark piece of the story. Our fretting happens when we become fixed on a scene in our own story, in our own lives, rather than fixing our gaze on the one who is both the author and the redeemer of our stories. Our Father calls us to look up to him, to take our eyes off of that scene and to place our eyes on him. And so when we look up, we see our Father and we, we hear our Father's voice. And here's what he says, verse 2, he says, For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. So when we look to our dad, our perspective begins to change. Uh, we learn from our father's voice that whatever dark season I'm in, whatever thing or person is tempting me to fret is, is a temporary season. It will soon fade. It's temporary. So there's the first shift in my perspective. But the second shift is that I, I learn it's for my good. That's what we learn in Romans 8.28 which reads, we know that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. I got ahead of myself. For those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, God is going to use this difficult season in our lives to further conform us into the image of Christ. That's the image we were created in that was marred by our rebellion. And further, our Father reminds us that an incomparable good awaits. So not only is my suffering temporary, and not only is God using my suffering for my good, there's an incomparable good that awaits. In Romans 8, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. But you're like, John, this is really bad. Like, I don't, I don't feel that way. I feel like my father has forgotten me. I feel like he's moved on without me. He's left me. But if you keep reading in this psalm, Psalm 37, you get all the way down to 28. It's almost as if David felt the same way that you did or that he anticipates the way that you're going to feel. And he says this, God will not forsake his saints. And then he says this, God's saints or God's kids, we can read it that way, are preserved forever. So while you're in a temporary season that is a trial and a dark season, our Father's eyes and His voice are coming back at you saying, I will preserve you, Son, forever. I will bring you through this. So we look up, we see our good Father, and then in verse 3 we read, trust in the Lord. So we're looking up and then we're trusting in the Lord. Verse 3 says, trust in the Lord. Uh, our Father is sovereign, He is good, He's pure, and He is wise, He's all-knowing. And he's in control. And the bottom line is, I am not any one of those things and you are not any one of those things. I'm not sovereign. I am not pure. I'm not all wise. I'm not all knowing. So not only can I not control other people or circumstances, I can't even see the big picture of this redemptive story. I don't see it all yet, but our father does. So what does my father want me to do while I'm waiting on him and trusting him? He says, you do good, son. You trust me and you do good. We talked about this last week, that there was nothing passive about waiting on God. Nothing. 
And here's a great example. He says to trust in the Lord and do good. So no matter what is going on around you, no matter what everyone else is doing, you trust your father and you do good. Now, that's easy to say. It's really hard to do. How do we keep our hearts there? Well, David says we dwell in the land and we befriend faithfulness. What does that mean? Dwell in, the, dwell in the land means that we stay close to our Father. We stay close to his presence. We don't practice social distancing from our dad. No social distancing from his family. We stay close. We stay in his word. We submit to the spirit. We, we trust Christ. We lean into our gospel identity. And David says we befriend faithfulness. Other translations read um, feed on faithfulness or find safe pasture. What David is doing is he's reaching back to his shepherding days and he's thinking of God's kids as sheep. Uh, he's our shepherd, not only our father. And so David's saying, we feed the hunger in our soul on our father's faithfulness. Now, fretting, when we fret, it reveals that there is a hunger in our soul. And you can try to feed your soul on your worry or your attempt to control, or you can feed your soul on your father's faithfulness to you. One of those will lead to death. The other will lead to life. David would urge us as our father's kids to befriend faithfulness and to feed our souls on his faithfulness because he is the only unchanging one. Everything else around us is constantly changing. And then David says we need to learn to delight in the Lord. We see that in verse 4. He says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. David's calling us to anchor our joy in him, not in other people and not in our ever-changing circumstances. So when our hearts are dissatisfied, when our hearts are discontent, when our hearts are tempted to fret, David says, look to your father. He will satisfy your heart when you look to him. He alone can satisfy your heart. We're tempted to look everywhere else in our fretting, but God alone can satisfy our hearts. And he will, he promises he will. And he's a good father. Our father actually delights in satisfying the hearts of his kids. And so David would say, as his sons and daughters, we need to learn to delight, to be delighting in our Father. And then we commit our way to the Lord. We see that in verse 5, where, where it reads, commit your way to the Lord. Now here the word commit means to roll away, to roll something away, to roll something away from my own grip onto my Father's shoulders. He can carry what I can't. He's willing to carry what I can't carry. So the pressure, the fretting, the people, the circumstances, we try to control, we try to retain it. And in controlling, in that attempt, it actually crushes us. And the gospel says, through the gospel, Jesus calls us to roll that away, to commit it to our Father and let him carry what we cannot. And David says, trust in him. Why? Well, because our Father will act. It says, he will bring forth our righteousness as the light and our justice as the noonday. The noonday is obvious, especially here in Okinawa. That glaring sun at noonday is obvious. You will know when your father has brought that about, is what David is saying. The sun will rise on you. You're in a dark season. Trust your father in the darkness. Keep walking towards his voice in the dark season. The sun will rise. And of course, we know from the gospel that the father has caused the sun to rise on us in Christ. So when we are in Christ, every day in our dark seasons, the Father causes that Son to rise on us in Jesus. This is the second time that David mentions trust, again reminding us that fretting is what we do when I am not trusting in my Father and I'm trusting in myself. Like that's the root right there. 
People and circumstances are not the root of my fretting. Let me just say that again. People and circumstances are not the cause of my fretting. They are rather the occasion. My heart is actually the cause of my fretting. My own heart. That's what James says in James chapter 1. He says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by, listen, by his own desire, his own heart. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So maybe the person over whom you are tempted to fret is a gift, in part, to reveal this to us and to compel us to Jesus. Maybe all of this coronavirus chaos is, in part, a gift, revealing that you and I actually do have fretful hearts when we thought we didn't, revealing that we tend to run from Christ and not towards him, and that God will actually use this hardship in our lives to compel us to Christ. All right, almost in summary now, in verse 7, we read, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. It doesn't end well. Didn't we just see that in James, right? He said, sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We could substitute fretting for sin. We could say fretting, rather than trusting Christ, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. David continues in verse 9, For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. To inherit the land is to know peace. It is to be in the presence of God. It is to know his presence. And that's David's way of saying that waiting on the Lord ends well. While fretting will end in evil and destruction, waiting on the Lord ends well. So looking up, trusting, delighting, committing, they're not necessarily sequential. They're not neat and tidy. They are interchangeable, overlapping, and ongoing. Our application of these things, our attempt to live these things out will always be super messy and imperfect. But our need is constant. And Paul reminds us of this in the New Testament. In Philippians 4, he says, Brothers, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul just summarized most of Psalm 37 in Philippians 4. But as a family this morning, can we collectively confess or agree together that we don't practice being still and not fretting very well? We don't. I don't. There's another psalm that will help us confess this together. It's Psalm 116. Let me just read a few verses from there. It begins with an acknowledgement of suffering. I suffered distress and anguish. And then in my suffering, I called on the name of the Lord. Here's his prayer. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. He's kind. That's what mercy means. Our God is kind. The Lord in his kindness preserves the simple. That's you and me. When I was brought low, he saved me. Now listen to verse 7 of Psalm 116. The psalm writer actually shifts gears and starts commanding himself. He's talking to himself now. He says, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Guys, this psalm is a perfect example of leading your heart and not being led by your heart. The songwriter is telling his soul, he's commanding his own heart to return to the Father. The Father is our place of rest. So let's return now together 
And then again, five minutes from now, when our hearts have begun to wander, let's, let's return again then. And then later this afternoon, and then on your way to work tomorrow morning, or two and a half hours into your time with your kids and your new homeschool routine, two and a half hours into your workday routine, let's return together in our missional communities, in our families, in our fight clubs. It's harder to return in isolation. So don't be alone. Don't socially isolate. Physically, sure, but set a goal this week to engage with somebody, somebody from our church family. You need it. They need it. We all need it. We as a family return together and we return together again and again and again. Now, some of you have never turned. So this is not returning for you. We're actually talking to you about turning to Jesus for the very first time. And Jesus would say to you this morning, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you, listen, you will find rest for your souls. So family, let's confess our sin together of not being patient and waiting on our Father. And let's confess our sin of fretting rather than trusting. Let's acknowledge our need for rescue. Let's turn and return to Jesus. And for those who of you who have yet to turn, man, I invite you this morning to respond to the gospel, to acknowledge your rebellion, to confess your sin, and to turn to Jesus asking for rescue. And in so doing, the Father's promise to you is that you will find, you will finally find your rest in him. All right, family. Well, this familiar face needs no introduction, but in case you don't know this guy, I'm joined now by uh, one of my good friends and another one of our pastors here at Pillar, Ron Koya. Ron's taken the time to come up with some questions for us that you can use individually, you can use with your family, with your MC, with your fight club, to kind of think your way and apply your way through the psalm that we just explored. So thanks for joining me, Ron. Sure. Thanks. Glad to be here. Um, MC's leaders should have one of these, and if you can right now, pass it out to the people in your room. Uh, there better not be more than nine other people, mm. or we're going to have to report you. Um, let, let's start off with taking a look at these, and we'll just go through these four questions and see where, where, what they mean, how we can address them to apply John's sermon for today. So our first one is this. John raised the question that, that is, a worthy, is worthy to answer, which is this. What, who am I personally tempted to be fretting over? Can we be specific? Name of a person or a particular situation. John was saying, name the person or name the situation out loud so that we can address it. Sometimes when we hear about what are you fretting over, we, we go to these quick answers to just brush off the question. You know, how was school today? Good, fine. Um, but here, can you think of something? As we're going through these, maybe even jot down a name or a situation that you feel like you're fretting over. Yeah. This would serve to be a really good journal entry too, right? Because we want to gossip with people. And so it really is between you and, and our father in most cases, I think. But journal it. And I know one time we had a conversation about journaling and how we're reluctant journalers now, especially as dads. <laughs> and so we only journal under the premise that the, in the future sometime we can burn our journals. <laughs> so maybe, maybe it's the kind of journal entry that you write down for your own good and to confess to your father, but then burn it at the end of 2020. It reminds me after this, I'm going home to burn <laughs> yeah. a few uh, of my 20s <laughs> journals. Okay, that's the first one. The second question is this. Psalm 37.4 commands... 
Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so the first question that we should ask around this verse is, what does that even mean to delight in the Lord? It sounds good. We've heard it before. We heard it a few times today in John's talk. But what does that mean? And so maybe in a moment you'll go around the room and talk about what, what does it actually mean in definition to delight in the Lord. Uh, our third one is something very specific, and that is what is a specific way that we have delighted in the Lord this past week. Maybe we can hear some of that from around the room, just, just ways that people have found some great delight. Just yesterday I was talking to a friend outside of the church, and we were talking about school and having some difficulties, and I was, I was doing a little bit of complaining. And he, just as we were going, he goes, Hey, Ron, before we go, tell me something good that happened today. Mm. And it was just, it was unlike him and it was unlike anything in our situation, but that really forced me to stop for a second and think about. That's good. Yeah, there were a few things to, to say, and it helps away from the grumbling. In this case, when we start to think about delight, it gets away from the fretting. That's really good. And hopefully it connects, like last week when we were talking about learning to wait patiently on the Lord. Hopefully we each imperfectly practice that this week and hopefully in the mess of trying to practice waiting mm-hmm. on the Lord, our hearts found some joy in that. And there's some peace there that we maybe we hadn't known before. And yeah, I mean, I agree. That was really neat that your friend did that for you. I think that's a good, good example of what our missional community should be doing mm-hmm. for each other. Maybe sometimes we get too caught up in we're just always feeling the need. I've got to confess something bad about myself or confessing sin, which has a very important role to play. But maybe what we don't do enough is kind of the flip side of that, it, like what your friend said. No, tell me something good, like rehearsing the gospel, um, reminding each other of our Father's faithfulness to us, and helping each other find joy in the Lord. Yeah, yeah good friends do yeah, that. I agree. Uh, along with that question, you'll see on the on the number three there is what are some things you want to do this coming week? Uh, where would you say you want to delight in the Lord this coming week? And so two good questions that always I think about in, in my own life is what stirs my affections for Christ and what dulls them? Mm. And if we were to hear from around the room right now, probably very similar things. Uh, maybe it's different, but I can assume that technology, whatever that technology form is, that probably leads to our dullness of our affections to Christ and some type of quiet time or some kind of time in the Lord or with people that's going to stir up our affections for Christ. And so all of that deals with delighting in the Lord. Yeah, that's good. And then our final question here, uh, it goes off of John's comment about looking up. And sometimes we're so inclined to looking in or looking around that that we forget that we need to look up and at other people, looking around at other people. And so the question is this, in this time of social distancing and isolation, how well are you connecting with people? What are some ways that you mm. can encourage those in this room and others in our church to delight in the Lord? This is something that John was saying in his sermon where we need to reach out. I know that we have this isolation and the social distancing that's important, but if we're honest with ourselves, we may be using that as a break from people or mm. as a break to, so we can sleep in. But where are we reaching out to people? Sometimes we are so quick to look for ways to just be in our four walls, and this gives us a really good excuse to do that. I mean, you've seen the memes about introverts. This is like the introvert dream period right now. It doesn't take being an extrovert to reach out to people, but what it does take is us to care for people in our church 
and send that text message or send something, some kind of connection that we can yeah. make sure we're together with people. Yeah. I really like your last question because it's a good reminder that, yeah, the church is family, but we're a family of servants and we're a family of servant missionaries. So we can think about how we can serve each other in this. We've got a lot, a lot of lonely people right now. I think many of us, if we've been around the church for a while, we just kind of take it for granted that, oh, we like our church family, we're settled in, we have a lot of relationships that can be sustained virtually, if not in person. But there are a lot of people who are new to our family who are not as well connected yet, who don't share that same sense. They do feel very cut off. They don't have the in-person communication or the, the, the presence. And so those intentional efforts would go a really long way. So we could be a, show ourselves to be a family of servants, but then family of servant missionaries. I think a lot of us still have the freedom as long as your gathering is 10 or less. So it's really your discretion, your judgment, your wisdom call. Uh, but you, most of you still have the freedom to invite another family or a single person or a couple single people um, over into your home to show them hospitality and to love them and serve them and maybe to help take their eyes um, off of their own situation and, and point them to a God who, who loves them. So I a lot of great questions. I think mm. I might like your last one the best. It just mm. reminds us that we're a family of servant missionaries. You know? Well, you said in your sermon that God may be using the coronavirus as for good things. Yeah. I don't know if you said as a gift. Right. Um, but uh, this is where I can see God really using the coronavirus in our church. Just the idea that we're in a smaller group now. We are forced to find people who come to our church, but they're not part of MCs. I mean, we all should be hunting out those people, hunting down those people. Where are they? Do they have a place to go on a Sunday? Let's yeah. connect them to people. Because this is a time where we need to fight against that isolation. For sure. Yeah, and if you're viewing this and you are new to our church family, you don't have those relational connections, maybe you feel like you're on the fringes, maybe you feel forgotten, that's the last place that we want you, and we don't want you feeling that way. So I would just, I would urge you, please reach out to me personally. I just get on our website. My phone number's there. My email's there. Reach out to anybody on our team, and we will do whatever we can to connect you relationally with other people in the life of our church. We, we don't want you on the fringes. Yeah, yeah. and we've... It's hard to know who's where, where all these people are in right. this time. Yeah. And it's a little bit more dynamic in the sense people go to one, one MC at one week and maybe they right. don't go the next week. But we really want to find you wherever you are. If you're watching this by yourself, we really want to connect you because we know how important it is. We are not meant to live and worship in isolation. Pillar Church does not want to be a, a sermon through video church. Pillar Church wants to be what we have with people around the table, talking, confessing, sharing, encouraging, and hopefully we can find people to connect to for that. Yeah, that's right. Man, so, so uh, write those questions or write the answers down. And um, I know we told you to, to keep your confessions between you and the Father. But when you're thinking about the fretting question, if John or Ron happen to be part of the, uh, the answer, I don't know, email us. I'm tempted to fret when John dot, dot, dot. Or I'm tempted to fret when Ron dot, dot, dot. I can read Ron's. Ron can read mine. <laughs> we'll revisit them next week. Who knows? That's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, right now, MC leaders, just lead a good discussion. Don't let people off the hook. Really, really press them uh, and have four questions that people can give some honest answers. Don't let them eat until the questions are answered. <laughs> no dessert. Yeah, that, that's good. No dessert. All Thanks, right. Ron. Appreciate you writing those down Thanks. for us. Yep. Have a good discussion, everyone. Thanks, family. Love you guys.